Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the CX Cast. I'm Adele Sage, joined as always by Angelina Jenis. Hi, Angelina. Hello. Today, we have a fantastic guest, Kelly Price, Senior Analyst on the Customer Experience Research Team. And she is here to tell us about the new research she's done on research. Imagine that. So welcome, Kelly. We're so excited to have you. Thanks, Adele. Thanks, Angelina. Good to be here. So we understand that you have rewritten the three key reports on the research competency in the CX Transformation Playbook that Forrester has. And we want to understand more about what these three reports cover, what's different, you know, you've rewritten them. So we want to know what's different about them and what some of the key highlights are that our listeners would be interested in. So can you start by walking us through these three reports and, and how they're laid out and what we can learn from them? Yeah. So as you may know, the goal of the reports is to provide essentially an end-to-end guide for anyone looking to scale up or create a research practice. So we've broken that down into three stages based on levels of maturity, starting with establishing a research practice, then moving on to scaling it, then ultimately evolving it, which becomes a continuous activity into the future. And uh, one of the main things that we did with this iteration of these reports they're totally new, but was to kind of break them down into specific categories that can be tracked across those levels of maturity so that as a practitioner looking to either create or advance your research practice, you can really get a sense of where you are across key elements that are required to make a research practice effective. So we've outlined what you need to be doing in terms of the scope of your research practice, people, so who you should be hiring um, and working with, organizations, how research should be actually structured and working within your broader firm or the organization that you work in, processes, like what you're actually doing with research, as well as tooling. So each of those categories exists across each of the levels of maturity. Hopefully the idea with that was to make it so you could really easily self-assess, get a sense of where you are. And then in addition to that, we've created some supplemental materials that outline the full model of activities Um, across each of these categories uh, from end to end to help you communicate internally with your peers about what really good looks like where you are on this journey towards research maturity. So hopefully it will be a clear and effective guide for wherever you are (laughs) in your journey of creating a research practice. That's great. It sounds really helpful in terms of specificity around figuring out where you are now and where you need to be. That's the idea. So hopefully. (laughs) So Kelly, in a lot of organizations, everyone is doing customer research. I mean, it's a good thing and it can be a bad thing. How do we think about democratization of customer research or is there some new thinking around that? Yeah, so democratization has been going on for a while now. It's nothing breaking new, I would say, uh, within these reports. And still, I would say it's a contentious topic where people have different stances on the extent to which it works or doesn't work. To be concise, my opinion on it is that it can be very effective if you're working within the right cultural conditions where there's kind of an already baseline appreciation of research and the value that it adds to making quality uh, decisions. So we continue to hear things that we've written about in the past in terms of democratization around creating effective trainings to establish baseline skills with those who you're hoping to democratize to, instituting guardrails using tooling and processes and checkpoints along the way where people are able to most of the time take over aspects of evaluative research. So what we would think of that happens at the end of the design process and make that more of a shared skill, a shared responsibility, often amongst a product team. 
But one thing that was new that is somewhat related to democratization, I don't know if I'd necessarily put it directly into the democratization bucket that I heard from quite a few research leaders that I interviewed for this series of reports, was expanding the scope of the training or upskilling around research foundations, things like how to ask a good question, how to identify your own biases and assumptions, how not to lead, how to listen, extending that beyond who we would often think about as kind of the core people who are participating in democratization, which tend to be product managers and designers, and um, including folks across the broader organization, particularly people working in customer support, uh, things like CSMs or account managers, people who are having frequent conversations and are interacting with customers on a regular basis, basically giving them a foundation of skills that's making them more effective at their job. So that when they are having these interactions with customers, they're able to listen better, uh, gather better insight, and ultimately make better decisions for the customer and for the business. And that's something that I anticipate to continue to see more of amongst organizations that are truly customer obsessed or customer centric, just because there's no reason to not <laughs> have people who are having any form of interaction uh, with customers be more effective at doing that. So that was something that was really interesting and nice to see in this round of updates. That is cool. It's sort of like we should all be curious about the world. We should all be curious about our customer. And maybe we need tools to know how to do that in a productive way for our jobs. I mean, let's be honest, it's more than maybe, right? We can aspire to be good at it, but having concrete, proven ways of doing it well, I think could help anybody who's customer facing. Yeah. So it sounds like it requires coordination on the from the research team. Yeah. So that's interesting because as a council advisor, I hear from a lot of members these sort of terms that they're throwing around like design ops and research ops. And I'm curious. How did research ops come up in your interviews? And for the CX pros out there who are getting into research ops, what do they need to know? Yes. So first, it's probably good to clarify like, what is uh, research ops. And of course, there is not like a concise, super easy definition. What it means uh, varies, I would say, pretty significantly from firm to firm in terms of the scope of responsibilities of what someone who is managing research ops has under their purview. But as with any ops practice, going all the way back to DevOps, right, we think about there are operational components of any type of practice that happens within a company, and how do you optimize for those operations? And that's really what research ops is about. But there have been, I think, some significant shifts or updates in how organizations are thinking about research ops, in addition to just the popularity of building practices around it. So historically, organizations who were early to the game oftentimes thought about research ops as being almost like an administrative role, oftentimes hiring someone who had more junior skill sets and managing the really time-consuming parts of the research process. Like the research desk. Right. Focused on like recruitment and, or it could be focused on consent forms or whatever it might be. And there are still some organizations focused on that. But one thing that I've seen, I would say over the last year and a half, let's say is, well, number one, organizations are hiring research operations people much sooner than you might expect, particularly within the tech industry. You might have a research team now of like five and they're hiring a research ops person just because of the extent to which when it's done effectively, it can help the organization scale. So I think a lot of times now people are choosing to hire a research operations person as opposed to hiring an additional researcher. 
So that's one thing. And then in line with that, instead of thinking about it as a kind of junior role focused on very tactical execution, it's it's approached in a much more strategic way. So oftentimes this requires someone who has a strong background in research, has probably worked in a management capacity as a researcher at another organization, and is essentially coming in and researching what is the role of research within our company. How does research operate? Where are those roadblocks or bottlenecks? How is data used? And sort of getting a lay of the land about what do we need to do operationally to be able to scale and advance our practice and then developing programs around that, targeted programs to help support research as being more effective. So I would say the key distinction there is that when it's thought about in a more strategic way, it's not just about offloading work from the research team. It's about thinking, what do we need to do organizationally to help research scale that our researchers who are working on research projects day to day are not going to have time to do. And that, that I think, has been a pretty significant shift, or at least in terms of the number of organizations that are putting emphasis on the need for that. And I guess to link it back to some of the the shifts of broader training and being able to get more integrated from a mindset perspective about like, what is research and like, how can I use it to uh, do my job more effectively? I did see some examples that I would say in particularly advanced research operations practices where the ongoing training and coaching uh, organizationally, that becomes something that the research operations team does, where they become that kind of point of contact let's say, with people in a different department who are looking to, I don't know, run a quick feedback survey on some way that they are interacting with customers, that they actually work with the operations team to make sure that they're doing it in a way that's going to solicit quality information as opposed to crap, which (laughs) we see a lot of times. It's not easy as researchers ourselves to let go and trust that someone that didn't go to school to study research can do it. But like, there are such great tools now. Yeah. It's really not as hard as it once was to do a little bit of customer research to get the insights you need for a specific research question. So it makes total sense to me that we can democratize now. We don't need to be stuck in a purgatory where we are running all of the studies ourselves because that's not very inspiring for us either. <laughs> but you need that strategic layer over it to make sure that you're collecting the insights somehow centrally and making sure that you're not like not every single person is going to the exact same customer and asking them questions, right? To make sure that that's getting spread out across the companies. Are people using repositories more, Kelly? So repositories are a hot issue. (laughs) We've struck a nerve here. Tell us more. So again, I think with the effective enterprise management of a repository or some way of managing your insights over time requires some operations oversight. When you get to a certain scale, I haven't seen an instance of an organization where practitioners are able also to be continuously managing, because you can institute processes for an individual researcher about like, how do you input the work that you've done into a system? But in terms of looking at that system holistically and managing it and culling it and making sense of it and you know just making sure it stays organized, but then in addition to that, being able to distill down, well, what might be themes of learnings across all these different things? There's just never enough time for all of that. So one piece of this is that I think it's difficult to talk about successful repositories or knowledge management of research without talking about research operations. Creating an effective repository is probably the most complex thing that a research operations team could do. But I I think having 
probably a portion of a larger research ops team managing that it was really the pathway forward. But there also have been more tools that have come out over the last five years to help build these things uh, that I also am seeing a lot of smaller research teams, like even a team of one start to institute very early and integrate into the processes of how they're working. So Dovetail is a really popular one. There's Enjoy HQ. Those are two tools that were built specifically for this use case that I have seen again, very small teams start to work with the product teams that they work with to be able to create systems of tagging, create ways of finding information more easily that helps to streamline their job. And actually, I interviewed a handful of people who I think focused more on building that at the upfront of creating a research practice in lieu of doing certain research studies uh, to be able to set them up for success in the long term. And there are larger organizations who use these tools that are designed for a repository use case as well. But I also see a lot of examples when organizations reach a certain scale, if they are going to try to attempt this, they end up building their own solution because it's so dependent upon how your teams work, what people are willing to do to access data. It sounds like it's a bit of a utopia. We all want to get there, but it's not that easy to do. Yeah. And it's unlikely to ever be perfect. Yes, I think that is 100% right. And trying to achieve perfect, you're always going to be let down. There's never going to be a perfect taxonomy or a perfect system of tagging just because of all the different ways that you can think about research or how things shift over time. And then do you redo all the tagging that you've done previously? So there are ways of being more effective with this, but tooling is not a silver bullet for it. I think as far as I can tell now, there is an element of manpower and man hours of someone actually having the tooling to help make sense of it for them, but is sort of required to pull through it. And, and one interesting example that I heard about this and sort of using, I don't know if I'd call it a repository, but at Atlassian, they have a pretty advanced research operations practice. Kate Towsey, who runs that practice there, she's sort of been credited with being like the queen of research operations and kind of bringing it to the global scale. They created a subset of that team of people who are called, I think they're called communications managers, but they essentially take on a communications role within the research ops team. And basically their main responsibility is to look at the data that is being collected and see how it is relevant to the different teams across Atlassian that research supports or, or works with and actually proactively surfacing insights and things that are interesting to these teams, which I think is everyone's ultimate goal or objective with research ops. But I think that's very difficult to do without people who are involved in, in that process. So Makes sense. Yeah. I want to pull on one thread here, which is that you mentioned something was a hallmark of a super advanced research team. Could you please walk us through what those hallmarks are? For, for our listeners who aspire to, to be the best, what does it mean to be the best? It's a good question. I think the way that I think about as just like a very lightweight assessment of seeing where you are, it's less about activities and more about outcomes and use of information. So when I think about an advanced research practice, the first thing I would look at is where is research being used and applied? What types of decisions is research using to inform? And there's both the extent of that. So how broadly is research integrated across the organization as well as the altitude of that? So is it just informing very tactical experience decisions or are we operating at a more strategic level? And there's ultimately 
multiple levels of strategy. So this is something we've talked about a lot, both in reference to design and to research, that there are different research altitudes. There are the tactics of research, there's experience strategy, and there's high-level strategy of thinking about, okay, like five years out, what are we going to be doing? And what do we need to understand about people in order to strategize for that? So an advanced research practice is one where you, I would say, have a broad influence in terms of how much research is used across the organization, as well as being integrated across those altitudes of strategy. And there are obviously a lot of activities that go into making that happen. So Kelly, if our listeners feel like they have great examples of repositories or just great research teams, are you taking more examples? Or is there a way that they can reach out to you? Yes, I'm always taking examples. So Kelly, we talked about upskilling the entire organization. I feel like the one question I have is when we're talking about getting becoming a more advanced research team, I mean, there's also upskilling in the research team. Do you have any examples or what do people do to make sure that the whole team is advancing their skills as researchers? Yeah, I guess the first thing to say, right, as uh, research teams, advanced research teams in particular, continue to get integrated at higher levels of strategy, as well as working more directly or becoming less siloed in terms of how they work with other quote unquote types of research or types of data, that the skills that are required to be effective as both an individual researcher and as a research practice continue to get more complex, both in terms of the soft skills that you need of being able to communicate and collaborate and so on and storytell, as well as aspects of practitioner skills and at least understanding basics of other types of research in order to be able to collaborate effectively. I have never heard of any research leader, even amongst the most advanced companies that I've spoken with, where they have been able to hire every single skill that they want or every type of specialist that they want. It's just not a reality. So there is one example that I love, which is one of my favorite examples that came out of this entire research that was shared with me by IBM, that I think is a really crafty way to directly address this challenge of the continuous need to upskill your research practice. So what they did was work together amongst like research leadership to define what are the full set of skills that we need as a research organization in order to be effective, both soft skills and practitioner skills, and translated that into a self-assessment that they had their researchers complete. That allowed them to see on an individual basis where someone had a gap where they needed to increase their capabilities. That then allowed them to do peer-to-peer coaching with another researcher who may have happened, for example, to have more UX quant skills that another person needed and pair them together to help build those skills. But in addition to that, it also showed where there were unilateral gaps of things that the organization needed that then helped to inform, okay, well, this is where as a team we'll invest overall training dollars to help scale up everybody. Or this is an area that we know is really important where when we do have headcount, where we want to prioritize. So I just thought it was a really effective way of both really getting a sense of what skills are we working with? What are we lacking? How can we work with what we have to upskill and then get very strategic and targeted for any additional dollars that are spent to bring in those skills that they weren't going to be able to cultivate internally. That sounds so satisfying on all levels. <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah. That team, it's run by Eric Malstead over there at IBM, and it's very impressive work uh, that he was doing pretty much in all regards. So 
the nerd in me is like, yes, you can like see the whole picture, right? Of all the different skills. And then also like, oh, I want to take an assessment like that and know exactly where my strengths are. You know, it's satisfying. Yeah. To just map it all out. I love that. Yeah. Well, everybody, you just heard from Kelly Price, Senior Analyst on the CX Research Team at Forrester. And Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. That was so fun and such a great conversation. Thanks for having me. It was great talking to you both. Tune in next week for another episode of the CX Cast. On behalf of Angelina and me, bye for now.